Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo. Happy Monday. I am Mike Golick Jr. With me, as always, Brandon Newman. And Brandon, we got a lot to get to, man. This was one of the richer, fuller weekends of sports across the board that we have had. I mean, we had... The Kentucky Derby this weekend, we had a full slate of Premier League soccer going on this weekend. We had the Miami Grand Prix that we will get into plenty of the action with and talk to Katie George, ESPN College Football and Formula One reporter who was down at the track in Miami to give us the sights and sounds. We had a full slate of NBA playoff games. We have got four questions, the big question from each series that needs answering in all of this, but... Brandon, before we can do any of that. Don't do it. No, I got to do it, man, because it was Mother's Day yesterday. <laughs> Shouts out to all the moms out there. We love all you. We love, we love our moms especially. Shout out, to, shout out to Chris, my sweet, sweet mother who has yes. held, our, held our family together, is the New England Patriots of planning weddings and of being Ooh, a mom. I like that. Shout out to Selena. You, you, know, you know who you are. <laughs> you know what you do. But I, wait a minute. I will, and, I will get. I will. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. And Michelle. Michelle. My oh lovely my. wife, Michelle. Bro, I'm like, telling I don't, you. I don't tell you to I'm edit much. You, you better edit no, that no, no, and no, make no. it I'm sound not. nicer. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Because I'm like, I'm like trying to be where you're at. It's like, oh, he said his mom. My mom. I don't think about my kid's mom. Because it's a real Brandon. thing. I don't want to talk. No, let me, let me say Let me say this. Let me say this. The whole thing, like, would you choose your wife or your kids? I don't know. Wait, that's not a thing. That is a thing. That's, that's not a thing. thing that people who that is a thing. That is like you, you're of... hanging. 
someone's hanging off the you say like oh hanging off a cliff you got your kid in one hand your wife in another hand who you and you can only grab one who you letting up like i i don't know like i know my i love my wife i know her more than i know these kids and i like love my kids but like that's like like that's the homie you know what i'm saying that's my wife Brandon, I cannot tell you, I am an unmarried, childless man, but even I am looking at this situation and going, you just put yourself so unnecessarily oh in these crosshairs to make a point that I still cannot find here. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I wasn't thinking about, like, yes, my wife is a mother and she's amazing at it and she's so good at it, but she's also great at being my wife and, like, that's, like... That's like that's the that's the important part. So so that's so that's the more of the context you still see her in, which yes. I think is good in a lot of ways. Yes. Like you still see her as your wife. You still right. obviously have that part of the, which is good. That's healthy. Yes, that's the that's, kids. Are the yes, the kids are getting in the way of that. If anything, like I love them, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, like. Yeah, so anyways. So, I do okay, appreciate but, you slandering your kids now as a means to get away from what you did before not wishing Michelle a full enough Mother's Day. It may be it may be the whole uh gender thing too, because like when you have two boys, you're just like, all right, all right, all right, guys, chill. Like if I had a little girl, I'd probably be like, Oh my gosh, my baby. Um yeah, I want a girl eventually. Uh but I was talking about the sports, Mike, and I wanted to say that not only do we have a lot that went on, like Big ish happened, like it, the like here in Louisville, Kentucky. Rich strike, like second biggest upset, 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 second biggest ups, <laughs> second biggest upset in Kentucky Derby's 148 year history, and and obviously the Grand Prix and uh, the end of that race was very very exciting. I'm just saying it wasn't just the things that happened because sometimes the things just happen, but things happened happened. Yeah, it wasn't just a volume play; it was actual right. legitimate action in these things. Yes. And I promise we will get to those. And I'm not going to let you, however, distract from us needing to get to the business at hand because if anyone didn't listen to the podcast <laughs> on Friday, we had my father Mike Golick Senior on from Golick yes. and Smetty. And we talked about your plans for Mother's Day weekend, which included taking your wife, the mother of your children, yes, to Dave and Buster's, yes, for and Mother's I, Day on Sunday. And I think we have a right to know how that went. Okay, well, let's before we get to that, where before we get to how it went, let's get to you and your dad and the issues I got with y'all too. See, my wife Michelle, shout out, we just talked about her. She didn't have no issues going to Dave and Buster's until she listened to the podcast. I'm just going to say that. Straight up. Had no issues with going to Dave and Buster's for Mother's Day. That, she, to- she, that she told you about until oh, she heard the oh, podcast. Oh, oh, she told me. Because her, her friends was hitting her up like, oh, I love Michelle content and the Gojo show. Duh, duh, duh. And then she went and listened. And she had a little look on her face. And I was like, what's up? She was like, I wasn't really even that disappointed about Dave and Buster's until I listened to the pod. And I was like... Mother, like this is this is what life is going to be for me. This is nope. this is it. And for content purposes, I, I'll let it ride. But Dave and Buster's was a wonderful time. You know what I did to give her to like to like make it worth her while? The Xbox. <laughs> you no. won her an Xbox with your skee ball prowess. No. I did not. I spent a lot of money on coin tokens, whatever thing is. I don't know if you guys know now, but it's a credit card to a credit card for these game systems. I don't know if you guys think it's still coins or whatever. It don't go that way. It don't go that way at all. But I ran around 
with Carter and the kids the entire time. She sat at the at the table at Dave and Buster's with my mom, my cousin, uh, whoever else was at the table. Michelle didn't leave, but she stayed with Max, so she had a baby. So it was like you know not that great. But I at least did all the running around till so everyone left, and then she played some some games that she would want to play, like with, with Carter, some basketball games. So it, it, it all it all went out positive. It was a good Mother's Day. She got a cookie cake that she loved from one of our favorite places. Shout out to Pie Kitchen in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and you know, it was a good day. Her love just, language is cards. Her and the car got, got, got the kids a card for her. Like, this is stuff I don't think about. So, like, I feel, I feel accomplished in a way because she was happy. There is a, a unique pride in accomplishing adult tasks that were not like a part of your life before. Like as we learn these things, you're yes. early in the reps of what you just described, like the Mother's Day card from the kids. That's a chef's kiss move. You do deserve mm. marks for that. Thank I do you. appreciate that this whole ordeal about how enjoyable her Mother's Day was turned into you popping your shoulder out of its socket to pat yourself on the back for being a oh good dad. Oh my gosh. This is what you wanted to talk about. What do you want me to hear? You mean wake her up? No, I, I will. I, I was going to say, and I was going to surprise you. Your wife texts me and was letting me know this <laughs> afternoon. She's like, your, your wife's very good about communicating on your behalf. I'm and she pissed. said, Brandon needed a cat nap after Dave and Buster's day. And so I, because she's like, if you're not hearing from him, he just went down for a nap. You're one of the kids. So she knows, like, you know, understands that sometimes I you need a nap. Am- and then I asked her, I said, did you have fun? And she said, it was surprisingly good. We had the place to ourselves for obvious reasons. But she said, it may be a Mother's Day sleeper. So she fully endorsed it. She had a go. great time. There you go. And also, I wanted to mention, it was, shout out to the person who said, good luck uh, getting a table at Dave & Buster's on Mother's Day. Because <laughs> it's packed, all the rest. I hear you, but in Louisville, Kentucky... After them derby parties that go down at the house parties, I think it was a little thin. I think it was a little thin. It was a little thin in Dave and Buster's. It was like we had the whole place running out to ourselves. I thought about Kevin Hart and his uh, joke in a special, seriously funny, about renting out Disney World. That's what it felt like. It was just us. And there was, and there was plenty of mothers having a great time, Mr. Gullick. Jeez. Wait, so you said it was just us, but there were plenty of mothers having a good time in Dave and Buster's. <laughs> Which is it? You're full of shit. <laughs> I mean, just just us in a room. Yeah, oh, can we move on? Yeah, I like. I, I'm so glad. But shout out David Buster's. Uh, shout out to our waiter. I don't know. I don't Man, know. it was a fun I, time. I, I, I pre- the pan the panic shout outs have started, which means it is time for us to actually dive into what we saw this weekend in the world of sports. Because, as you mentioned, the fact that that rich strike call, which was sensational. Mm. on NBC might be lost to some of the other pomp and circumstances of the weekend. Like everything you said there is incredible. This horse wrist strike wasn't even supposed to be in the race until another horse scratched out late. The horse was biting other horses at the end after it came back in this awesome one. Like this horse is a future Detroit lion. There is no (laughs) doubt, but in the meantime, it is now a Kentucky Derby champion. And it was legitimately one. I think that has a chance to be one of the more iconic sports calls that we see come out of the last few years. I mean, it was insane. It was electric. Uh, Michelle, this is her first time being in Louisville for the Derby, and she didn't know what time it came on. So we ended up watching about seven hours of coverage because she just thought the, the race was going to end up. 
I will say for how often I've watched the Kentucky Derby, I forget how late it's on every year. And so I'm sitting around like, damn, I've watched way more of this than I care about. Right. And then Carter, my oldest two-year-old, he loves horses. So horsey, horsey. We was watching the whole time. And then like, it was like bedtime. Like he had taken a bath, they were taking the baths in the pajamas, laying in bed, watching TV right when the the race was starting. Oh, it was just such, such a treat. That was that was Rich Strike's eighth race, eighth. What a what a shooting percentage! I mean, it was just and I, I as he finished, I was like, oh, he ready, he ready to run. He can run another one. He's ready to go again, and that it proved right because he was he was a little feisty. He didn't he like was. the pony. He he was he was he was about to. It was, <laughs> I was like, oh, they're gonna have to put down Rich Strike on TV. Oh my God, you kids. <laughs> Good Lord, Brandon. What? I, I will say I, I did enjoy my sister-in-law text our family group chat. It was like, oh, the winner's being fresh. <laughs> that, was, that was the Kentucky Derby analysis coming out of the take, Golan you family. Can't take him sh- you can't tell him shit. No. Oh, my Listen, God. That's, that's the way you should be winning. But we mentioned that. It's like that is going to, again, that call, you're going to hear that played all at the beginning of the portion of this week. That is going to be on every platform Great. known to man. And it is probably at some point going to get drowned out by the sheer weight of everything else that we had happen. Because, True. Brandon, we also had a full weekend of the NBA playoffs. And a lot of these series got really interesting over the course of the games we saw played on the weekend. And so I wanted to do a little NBA question and answer. The biggest question yes. that we can find from each series over the weekend and try our best to go ahead and parse through that. So are you ready for this, Brandon? Yes. All right, so as we look at this weekend series, we had, starting off, the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Brandon, Mm -hmm. is Giannis Antetokounmpo being allowed to get away with too much? Because while we saw an incredible 42-point outburst in their close win, you know, the the controversy around the Marcus Smart call at the end of that game, was he fouled in the act? Should he have been shooting three instead of shooting two? where he had to then try and do the miss intentionally and get the ball up there. All of that then gave way to a discussion about Giannis essentially being allowed to bowl people over at every turn. So where are you in on that with the reigning finals MVP? I think I do think he's getting away with too much, but I think that is the place of NBA stars in the playoffs, right? Like we, we have to have our top, one percenters eating and being the topic of conversation, good, bad, or indifferent. So I, I thought that foul on Jason Tatum was way, way, way too hard. Um, I, I thought maybe he could have been ejected from the game quite possibly. Like, I think, I do think that we're in a territory where I want to see more calls like that be, you know, be called regardless of star power or not. But absolutely, he's getting away with too much. But this is what happens once you once you're uh, re- was it finals MVP uh, reigning champion like that team is being refed differently in my opinion. Yeah, well, and I mean that's sort of the hallmark of the team, right? When you think of him, when you think of him, and especially the front court, him and Brooke Lopez and the group that they've got there, Bobby Portis, like. All of that reeks of length and physicality. That's the strength of that team. It's sort of akin to what we saw from the bubble Lakers that were built around LeBron James, Anthony Davis, mm. and the length and strength of that lineup. I think Dwight Howard was still on the team yeah, for that was, too. So, yeah. 
He's out there a lot. Um, but you you have all of that, and I think you're right. There's some benefit of the doubt that gets afforded to you when you are not only the reigning, you know, as someone who's been a two-time MVP and the finals MVP, but when that's, you know, the basis of your game. And we remember this for years now. It got talked about differently, but, you know, LeBron James, another obviously bruiser of a superstar player. And I remember a lot of people pointing out that this was stuff he would get more of a benefit of the doubt for on the defensive end, where LeBron James was allowed to get away with a little bit more physicality on that side of the ball, even if you thought he wasn't necessarily getting what he deserved on offense. I'm generally of the ilk where especially for a player of this caliber, I'm not going to freak out about it too much. Like, obviously, I think Giannis is still, despite the criticism from James Harden a few years ago, an incredibly skilled player, a guy who's developed a lot in the way he approaches the game and the adjustments that he's made to how they've played him. So uh, I I generally tend to think no when it comes to this answer. He's being allowed to get away with some stuff, but to your point, I think that's requisite with a star of his caliber. But, but yeah, I, it's the same way how, like, you know, the favorite child gets a little bit of a little bit of leeway, a little bit of leeway. Well, and I, I also think, too, it's the nature of the postseason. Like, if you look at this series, I saw someone because I, I forget who it was, if it was Bob Ryan or someone who said, I think Giannis is incredible, but he shouldn't be allowed to run everyone over. And I saw someone from the Milwaukee camp of folks put up a video of Jason Tatum and a bunch of similar plays and just Mm. reversed his name into the caption. And all that to me underscores is you've got two incredibly gifted defensive teams that are meeting in this series, two incredibly physically gifted star players on either side. Like Jason Tatum, while he is not Giannis in size and scope, is still on the bigger end, especially for his position. He's physically impressive enough and has enough of that to his game that I also just look and say that's kind of been this postseason right now. It's been a little different because like you said, we've had a lot more, at least it's felt like anecdotally, reviews for you know potential flagrant fouls. We've seen someone in uh, Draymond Green ejected for a flagrant two already. So I I think that's just kind of me also resetting and say, I enjoy, we talked about this at the beginning of the postseason. I enjoy, and I think we enjoy, the physical brand of postseason basketball that we get, and so I'm not going to get pissed when all of a sudden it shows up. But, like, Dylan Brooks getting ejected for the play on Gary Payton uh, the second, excuse me, Uh, if Jason Tatum gets hurt on that play, I think it might be a different story. I I do think it might be a different story. And he's also an outlier as someone with football shoulders who I believe in. Football shoulders. Definitely, definitely, uh, the Gojo podcast crew, pro any basketball player with football shoulders. But I'm glad you brought up Dylan Brooks and all this because it's a good segue into, I think, the next big question that we have to answer. This one in the Golden State and Memphis series. Mm. Are you sick of hearing the word code yet? Because what we've had going on in this series, for anyone that's missed it, you mentioned after the Dylan Brooks uh injury that he caused to Gary Payton II, fracturing his elbow, ending his postseason. Steve Kerr, their head coach, came out and said, I don't know if it was intentional, but it was dirty. There's a code, this code that players follow, where you never put a guy's season or career in jeopardy by taking somebody out midair or clumbing him across the head. He broke that code. Dylan Brooks broke that code. Fast forward to the game that we played this weekend. John Morant left the game uh, with a knee injury, limped off the court in the second half of that game. 
um, after that loss in Game 3 and tweeted out a video of Jordan Poole defending him at the time for the Golden State Warriors. John Morant was bringing the ball across half court and Jordan Poole and another Warriors player basically went to trap him. They went to try and rush him at the as he crossed half court and you saw John Morant kind of plant awkwardly and you saw Jordan Poole's hand hit across the front of John Morant's knee and then the limping that happened after that and so you had Morant leave without talking to reporters and tweet broke the code with a video, a slow motion video of Jordan Poole grabbing his knee as he went by here. And Brandon, I, I just can't buy on this, the insinuation that what Jordan Poole did was one, the you know def- definite impetus for this injury. It was hard to call. We right. always have a difficulty trying to call these things off a monitor of what caused the injury like this, you know, knee injuries. We see so many of them non-contact or when weird plants happen. But then two, the insinuation that this was intentional from Jordan Poole in that spot. Because when you slow everything down, we understand how it distorts stuff. But when you see that play happen at full speed, Jordan Poole's going out there to trap him. And while these guys are incredible athletes with incredible dexterity, I really have a hard time getting myself to the conspiracy point where I think that Jordan Poole was able to pinpoint and sever a ligament in his knee with a slap on the fly. Right, Jordan Poole's Liam Neeson out there, like right, yeah. in the right, in the perfect spot to get to get John Morant out. It's like, no, I'm guarding John Morant. Who is John Morant? This is the playoffs. The, my issue with the whole code word, and I do think that John Morant may be putting it in the ether because. It's already out there with Steve Kerr yep. in the Dylan Brooks uh, uh, assault. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to hear the word code about the NBA during the playoffs. Is that fair to say? Because this is this is this is this is the time that everyone gets graded by, right? Rings or nothing. It's it's kind of it's the uh, Charles Barkley story. Like right now, they are selling out completely to win. Each and every game. So, yeah, there is no code. Giannis is probably one of the main well, guys who who follows a code. He's not following a code. There is no code I, well, no, in the I, NBA playoffs. I, I, I don't think I, – I, I, I disagree because I think you're mistaking what the notion of the code is here. Like, what Steve Kerr talked about, Brandon, is the same thing when you and I were playing football, right? Like, what, what, what are the things you know you don't do? You don't hit yeah. a guy in the back of the knees. You yeah. don't hit a guy, yeah. you know, from the side of the legs, away from the yeah. ball. Like, there are instances where you know – I'm not going to put someone's career in jeopardy with the thing that I do, you know, undercutting someone when they go up. What Steve Kerr talked about with a guy getting clubbed in the head, like there is a certain understanding on things that everyone knows where the line is. Even in sports that are in the case of basketball, a contact sport, in the case of football, a collision sport, you know the line there. So like there is that code and understanding But I think in this instance, what you brought up is accurate. Because Steve Kerr went out and because Memphis probably was pissed off that their head coach was the one talking about one of their guys, now all of a sudden, they're looking for something to be charged up about. And we know this. Like, I don't blame everyone in Memphis's locker room for coming out. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. said, we're going to rock with our guy. We're going to defend our guy and all this because there's a very real chance that John Morant is not playing in the game coming up tonight. We heard from Taylor Jenkins, their head coach. He's likely going to be out for the upcoming game. And that sucks. And I understand a teammate wanting to come to the defense of their guy. 
But as we all, you know, get further away from this and kind of pull back from the intensity of the moment, I just don't know how anyone can realistically look at this and say that this was something intentional by Jordan Poole and this that would be a violation of whatever like code of brotherhood exists amongst NBA guys in that fraternity. Right. It's it's if you look at the that's why I'm just so perplexed by John Morant coming out and obviously he deleted the tweet, but the sentiment's still there. Like that wasn't even a bang bang play. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was literally Jordan Poole reaching for the ball, John Morant's knee being in the way, and him giving it a little squeeze around the meniscus. And then John Morant's affected, like he can't even walk afterwards. Like, I, I'm just scratching my head at the blame game that's being played, especially from NBA, like ballers. Like, John Morant could have easily done that to Jordan Poole. Easily. And and Jordan, I, I don't think Jordan Poole would have been like – can't believe John John Morant was so dirty like that. Take me out the game, grabbing my knee ever so slightly in a split second. Like, how do you? I I feel like he must have felt some real pain in that actual moment, John Morant, to go back and 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 put the blame on Jordan Poole because you could blame the trap. Like you couldn't go nowhere. You couldn't even get the ball off. Like turn the ball over and, and live to see another day. Brandon, speaking of pain derived from someone grabbing below the waist. Let's talk about Chris Paul. Ooh. I like that. I, no, I, mean, I, I, mean, it was, I, mean, I was expecting a little more of a reaction to that one, like notorious oh, was, nut was, shots. Like, all right, oh, yeah, that's was, fine. That's I, fine. Oh, yeah. I'll I mean, keep it, it moving, and I'll just level. ask the question. I understand. It was Hall of Fame through. level. You know what I mean? I had to think yeah. about I was like, oh, yeah, he did be doing that. Go ahead. Our question for the Suns-Mavs series, what do we do with the Chris Paul crowd incident? in this game, Brandon, because we had a lot happen surrounding Chris Paul in this game. Um, For the first time in Chris Paul's 1,294 career games, counting regular season and postseason, Chris Paul had four personal fouls in the first half. He ended up fouling out with about eight minutes left to go in this game. It was startling, and as many people pointed out, Scott Foster wasn't even refing this game, so you didn't have that one (laughs) built in to the excuse machine here, but it, it was uncharacteristic from him. I think there were a lot of ticky-tack fouls. I think people were rightly upset with the officiating in this game. I was stunned at some of the spots Chris Paul put himself in, but Brandon, that gave way after the game to what we saw, a video clip of Chris Paul talking to security where you can see him mouth, they put hands on my mother, and then you see kind of security going into the stands. Then we get this after the game. So, Uh, Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter, tweets out, a source familiar with Chris Paul's tweet after the game said, uh, told ESPN that Paul's mother had hands put on her by Dallas fans and that Paul's wife was also pushed. To make matters worse, Paul's kids witnessed it. Quote, they felt very unsafe, the source said. Mark Stein, another ESPN reporter, followed up and said the Mavericks are aware of an incident between a fan and and the family of Chris Paul, it was unacceptable behavior and will not be tolerated. The Mavericks, along with American Airlines Center, swiftly removed that fan from today's game. So Chris Paul tweeted about this after rather cryptically, and that's what kind of sparked all of this. And Brandon, I, 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 what is your what was your reaction to that as we were going through all this? Because I think a lot of people saw Chris Paul's tweet and then went back and saw all the videos, saw this reporting start to pop up. 
it's one of those issues where I don't see being solved, especially not in the playoffs, especially on the road. You can't control people. And you can't control crazy, irrational fans who are doing some research. And you don't have to do research on who Chris Paul's family is. He's a, he's a very famous man. Uh, and they wear the jerseys to the games. But outside of putting superstar family members in a press box, I don't see how you get around this. I think it needs to be handled individually. But it feels like it could be reason for him not being as productive on the court. Well, I... I so I'd say this. This is one of those instances where you're going to get a lot of people crying foul about wanting to see a video of this instance and demanding proof and being right. inside that arena saying there's enough cameras and all this. I don't need to doubt Chris Paul's sincerity in this, but I will say like I don't need to see the video, but whoever's making these decisions. We saw that statement from the Mavs through Mark Stein that said the actions were inappropriate, that fan was removed. That seems like we've already gone down the path of they saw enough to go ahead and remove this person. True. And whatever decisions get made after this are going to be with what security saw in there and what their cameras saw in there. And to me, it's as simple as if they've got people that saw Chris Paul's family getting, you know, hands put on them by fans in that arena, that has got to be like, I, I don't know if there's a harsh enough penalty for that. Like you ban mm. that fan for life from probably every NBA arena. Because yeah. the one thing you cannot have, we talk all the time about fan-to-player interactions in all of this and some of the things that go on and some of the awful things that get said. But my God, at least in those instances, you're talking about a player being able to at least deal with that man-to-man, -man, deal with that person-to-person -person in those spots. They're away from their families in the bounds of these games. You and I have both had families in the stands for games. I know friends of mine that we played with who have had instances where their fans in opposing stadiums dealt with people pouring things on them or spitting at them or having altercations like that that all of a sudden put people in harm's way. And that just can't be acceptable because... These guys need to feel like their family can come and watch these games. And even if you couldn't identify them as Chris Paul's family in that game, there shouldn't be people having to worry about dealing with that and being assaulted, but especially in what we usually have as clearly defined family sections in that. And so if yeah. they go through and they do this investigation and they find that this is exactly what happened, then those people should never be attending another NBA game so long as they live. That should be very easy. I, I agree with that. And I think that's a... That is an easy fix. Uh, we've seen with uh, Russell Westbrook, like uh, Utah Jazz, like they've made swift, like you're never allowed back here type of moves for, for players, but or for fans. But I just feel like you can't control fans. And I don't, well, I don't know if I it's feel, a cop-out. But I feel like you have to try. Like you can't, but, okay, you can't listen, throw listen your up. hands up as a league or as anything else and say – oh, well, we're just never going to be able to control them. Like, you have got to do whatever it is in your power to create a deterrent for these kind of actions. Okay, but how many times have you, because we talked about uh, Notre Dame games, all of the families are sitting in the same place, right? Not all the players are doing things to be cheered for, right? How many times have you heard of words exchanged between Notre Dame football parents because somebody's too... Uh, out loud say, oh, this kid sucks, or get this guy off the field, or what is he doing, what is he thinking? Like, that's just a part about being in the game. And some of these people are sauced up. Some of these people are ignorant just to begin with. I don't think we can come out and try to police 
the unpoliceable. Now, obviously, the the, the oh no, the I think I, 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 I think they're very policeable. I think you throw them out for good. I think that's an easy policing method in all of this. Like, there's just uh, there's always going to be someone. There's always going to be someone else. That's oh, I mean, going to be somebody else that needs to be thrown out. That here's my thing: throwing those people out doesn't change the experience for Chris Paul and his family. At, at uh, when they played the Mavs, or, no. you know what I'm saying? Like, no, but they, it could they potentially change. change it for the next player whose family is in an arena and has somebody think about doing that. That thinks twice because they don't want to be thrown out of an arena forever. Like, to me, those are easy solutions. The problem in all this is going to be the people that come in and try and throw dirt on Chris Paul and say, "Oh, he's making this up. Oh, he's fabricating this," because yeah. we don't have immediate visual evidence right now because everyone's gotten way too used to camera phones being a portal to immediate gratification or understanding of a situation. But yeah, I will, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm I will. There. I will say in all this, Brandon, about the basketball part. The Mavs made, I mean, it's, it's a two, two series now. And all I'll say is this, so much of the conversation coming off the first couple of games of the series was Luka Doncic being such a defensive liability, despite what he was able to do on offense in this game, 20 or 26 points, 11 assists, seven rebounds. And a lot of those assists went to three-point shooters. Mavs made 23s in this game. They were lighting them up from the perimeter. And we know the Suns' defense has certainly been a hallmark for a lot of what they've done. But Luka being able to do just enough on the defensive side and then to go play bully ball. Like having Chris Paul in foul trouble certainly helped. But even when you get them matched up, Luka sees Chris Paul and says mouse in the house and starts putting his body into the lane and making things happen. So the Mavs have done what I thought. Like I thought this was going to be a series that was over in five games. I thought the Suns were clearly a better team. I still Mm -hmm. think as long as we don't get another freakish instance of Chris Paul fouling out in a game in a way that we already told you is atypical... I still think the Suns win this series, but the Mavericks, I think, have earned a lot more respect in how they've battled back and gotten this thing tied up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, let's be real. I I want the Suns to move on because I I can't see the intrigue for this Dallas Mavericks teams in the finals. Right At this point in time, I'm rooting for the finals that I don't want to see. And I definitely don't want to see the Heat versus the Mavs not at all I don't care how great Luka is and Dorian Finley-Smith like hit another eight threes DFS baby like please let's let's see it I just I just can't I just don't want I just don't want the Mavs to the Mavs can move on but we can't have them in the finals damn media Brandon out here trying to legislate the most interesting finals I appreciate you Brandon I mean you know what I'm saying speaking of Inconsistent performances. Ooh. I don't know if that was actually a tie from what you said, but it was what I've got and what I'm going with. Brandon, as we look at the last series here, the nightcap from Sunday, Heat and 76ers. Is James Harden officially back? I'm going I'm to go ahead and say yes. And I'm going to eat my words that I said, I don't think he cares about championships, but he's not. He, I can't say James Harden, James Harden don't score no more. I can't say that. I can't say that. I'm I'm retracting that because he does, but James Harden being back just means a flame out in the Western Conference Finals or East now Eastern Conference Finals. Like I, I realize James Harden. And I think the bigger piece to this puzzle is Bane, Joel Embiid, 
coming back. I think uh, James Harden is one of those guys that can't dig himself out of the hole once he's in it. But I know what helps. Joel Embiid on the other side. Uh, Maxi doing his thing. Danny Green hitting his shots. All those things make James Harden look so much better. And yes, he is back. Exploded. Great fourth quarter. Cheers to him. That's the superstar that you traded for. <sighs> but is he back? Yes. Does that mean anything? No. Yo, Brandon, I actually like wouldn't even declare him like all the way back. Like, I don't know if we can reasonably expect this James Harden all the time going forward, but what did we ask at the beginning of this series? When Joel Embiid was out for the first two games, we clamored because he hadn't done enough to lift them in his absence. And even now, Joel Embiid went out there and, and was really sensational in stretches, but we know he's still dealing with a lot. He's wearing the mask for a reason, the orbital fracture, all those different things. And so for James Harden to do what he did in the fourth quarter, 16 points alone in the fourth quarter la uh, last night, he becomes, according to StatMuse, the first player in Sixers playoff history with 30 or more points, five or more rebounds, five or more assists, and five or more three-point makes. And a lot of them were the shots he was missing earlier in the series, those pound the, pound the air out of the ball at the top of the, key, at the, top of the box, shooting contested three-pointers. He was making those tough shots. And Brandon, this whole game felt like the first time in the series where we saw James Harden not just you know capably distributing because he can still do that at a high level, but right. he looked comfortable driving the basketball. He was getting to the rack, and some of that had to do with Joel Embiid being able to clear space. But all of that just led to him reminding us James Harden's still in there. It might not be mm. as frequent. We might not be able to count on this night in, night out in this way because I think I saw the stat in the games leading up to this. He had like four combined points in the fourth quarter's total leading into this game before this outbreak. But that guy's still in there. And if you're Philadelphia, like the scariest moment had to be, I think Joel Embiid went to the locker room in the, like at the end of the third quarter. If he goes down, it all it's over. It's become abundantly clear. This house of cards only stands when that guy is even less than 100% out on the court. But if right. he is, and you can get a couple of these, because you weathered the good Jimmy Butler night on the other mm. side of this too. Like yeah. that's the other part of this story is Jimmy Butler went off in this game, 40 points in this one. He was dominant, especially in the third quarter defensively. But we also know that's not Jimmy night in and night out. Like he is not mm -hmm. 40 points any given night. We've seen these hot and cold flashes of him in the playoffs. And so you maintained home court. If you are the 76ers, we saw the way role players step up and the way they traditionally do. You weathered that one. They're they're in it now. Like as long as Joel Embiid is out on the court, the Sixers have a chance to win this thing in seven. Oh, absolutely. And one of the reasons why is they're playing defense. Joel Embiid being out there is, is one of the, you know, they don't get a lot of second chance opportunities. But the Sixers were scoring off of turnovers. Like they were getting a lot of points off of just getting the ball back. I don't. You talking about James Harden still in there? James Harden, the defender, is not really a threat moving forward. And there, well, James Harden's always been the same guy defensively, which is never going to put the clamps on anyone. We'll get you a couple of timely steals in there. We'll stick his hand in the right spot. But yeah, like palms up a ref, as one would. And I, I just, I, yes, I, I hear you. And actually, now I'm, I'm pulling. 
I want to see the 76ers move on. I want to see the 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I just think that team is way more. I, I've been wrong plenty of times. I'll be even more wrong in this podcast as we continue. But last week, I said the Heat just looked like a better team. And that was without Joel Embiid on the floor. Yeah, I, I listen, I think that goes a long way in this. I think we see in the postseason every year we kind of get that reminder of how much different life is for role players, home versus road. For whatever reason, mm. it feels so much different than what we deal with in football in a lot of ways in this. I think this still, you know, is is gonna if I'm you're asking me to pick right now, I'm still going to pick the Heat to win this series. But kind of like the series with Arizona, I, I think it's got a lot more longevity now for the obvious reasons in Joel Embiid. So Brandon, those are the pressing questions that we've got in the NBA. A lot of great action here. We still got plenty of great action coming up tonight. But do want to get to what we saw this weekend elsewhere because we mentioned the Derby off the top, the NBA. We had Formula One enter the United States in a big, big way. And we're going to talk to Katie George, who was down there covering F1 with ESPN Digital, did a phenomenal job with Spencer Hall and Gary Streisky on that. But before we get to the nuts and bolts of this, pun fully intended, with what we saw in Miami for this big showcase of Formula One in America, we did end up seeing one very uncomfortable spot where this came together, uh, especially was the walk on the grid before the race. So if anyone was truly new and this was your first time watching a Formula One broadcast this weekend... What you see before every race is down on the grid where all the cars are lined up on the track and the spots that they're going to go, you see the entire teams around this track. It's when the celebrities and the racers are all down there with the crews mingling together as one. And Sky Sports, which is the broadcast company that carries them overseas, they're the ones that carry Premier League Soccer over there, all all the above are putting this on. And so it is a, you know, foreign broadcast crew on American soil doing this game. And Martin Brundle became the main character of the day. He was the reporter tasked with going around the grid and trying to interview drivers, celebrities, anyone that he saw out there. And he wasn't clearly getting much help from anyone producers that were with him trying to flag people down. He was just trying to work his way through the crowd and get who he could get. And so he's sticking a microphone in the face of Venus and Serena Williams. He brushed past Dwayne Wade at one point trying to get to who he thought was Patrick Mahomes. You heard the most awkward moment of this came with him yelling Patrick Patrick at what was a tall light-skinned black man with Mm -hmm. his back turned to him in that moment. And as he turns around, the rest of us are all watching, very clearly looking at not Patrick Mahomes, trying to figure out, is there another Patrick we missed? No, it was former Duke men's basketball star Paolo Bancaro, who was down on the track, who is like a full six inches taller than Patrick Mahomes and does not look like Patrick (laughs) other than the fact that their complexion is a somewhat similar tone. And so he went through that entire interview and then said, oh, I thought you were someone else that is clear. Clearly not Patrick Mahomes. And Brandon, this made me think of two things overall. One, pretty cringeworthy and felt a little little racist. Like, 
in a, in a in a way that I feel like a lot of people brushed over in the name of this guy being, you know, a fish right. out of water in a different place, clearly not doing his homework. Like I'm not accusing him of right. being racist in this instant. It just felt uncomfortable for that reason yeah. because we all saw this coming. This is a guy who clearly was not prepared for the people that he was going to see. This seemed like a prep issue. Number two in all this was Stugatz needs to be the reporter in charge of doing this next year. Because if there's one thing I know about mm. my friend Stugatz is he is tailor-made for barging his way into conversations he probably shouldn't be in, running up on celebrities with questions that probably border on inappropriate, and making mistakes that we all find enjoyable on the timeline. It all feels tailor-made for Stugatz. He's down there right in my, well, not right in Miami. He's a little further from there. It'd be kind of a commute, lacrosse mitzvah, all that stuff. But I think he would do very well on that. But man, it was crazy cringe i actually after sitting on it i like it i liked it i liked it because pablo doesn't not resemble patrick mahomes a little bit to a foreign british man like i i, I understand the mistake i i i didn't like how he owned it just on some like shrugging off like oh wrong black dude he didn't say that, but that was the energy he gave off. Very much. And, and you said, and you said, racism. He dipped his toe. He dipped his toe in in, in a little racism bucket in the racism the, uh, the river, if you will. And I don't hate it, especially at that event where you don't know who's going to be where, and there's a bunch of people that are clearly important walking around, and he's just trying to get some sights and sounds. He's like, oh, that's that's not who I'm talking about. Like, imagine if that was not who we we're talking about, and it was just some guy who worked at McDonald's and got tickets. Like, it was Pablo. Like, I think it, it was a special moment because of the the people involved, and, and it, yeah. it was like, and it, it only takes someone who was aloof as Martin to give us that moment. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying that Martin Brundle was intentionally racist or anything like that. It was an uncomfortable moment, yes. but it was like you mentioned, and it's a great point. It was two worlds colliding. It was this sport that has existed largely overseas. And we have made that point about that. And it is us imposing our American ideals of how dare you not know our NFL superstar. Right. How dare you not know our Duke basketball superstar in this right. immediately and be able to recognize it. It's just made uncomfortable by the fact that he mistook one famous black guy for another. <laughs> yeah, and I I just didn't like the energy of getting it wrong. But with that is why I think Stugatz probably would be perfect yes. for that role. That is that is exactly why Stugatz fits in really well in that role. So that was the uncomfortable pre-race moment in the sea of coverage surrounding the Miami Grand Prix. We will get you the sights and sounds from the track, from the paddock, from Katie George, who is down there in just a minute. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot in an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOJO. 
bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, very excited to welcome in from Miami, ESPN college football reporter, radio host, and Formula One reporter, Katie George with us now. What's up, Katie? Whoop, whoop. Uh, Not much. (laughs) Went to the track. I'm exhausted. I've been in Miami since Tuesday. Uh, That is almost a full week. I don't know if you guys have been to certain cities where you're like, yep, three days max. That's enough. Now I want to go home. Miami's a wonderful city, but it has been a long couple of days, I will say. I would say Miami, Las Vegas, and New Orleans, probably cities with a Mm. three-day max, right? I was just in New Orleans for the Final Four for men's basketball. We were there for a week, and by 48 hours, I was like, please get me out of here. I need to get out of here. Love it to death. Love it to death, but it just... It takes a lot out of you in this. And that was kind of expected walking into this situation. So you were with, you were down with ESPN as part of their Formula One coverage for the Miami Grand Prix. The first race, you know, the first time in, in however many years we had had two races on U.S. soil in a given year. Austin had been sort of the bell cow for a while. This was the first run at Miami. So walk us through this, Katie. You got down there on Tuesday to start covering this race weekend here. How would you describe the whole experience from start to finish? I think it was incredible. It exceeded all of my expectations. Every day there was an increase in intensity and increase in excitement. You know, I got down here on Tuesday uh, and I interviewed Charles Leclerc first and foremost, and I got to sit down with him for some time. And that this is his first time in Miami. You know, it was, it was funny. He, he kind of had an anecdote where he's like, you know, we used to come to the States to holiday because nobody knew who we were here. And now over the last couple of years, thanks to Drive to Survive via Netflix, as well as just, you know, the freight train that F1 has been on in the United States, he said, that's no longer the case. He was like, this is my first time in Miami experiencing it for the first time. He said it it was incredible just the first couple of days. And then obviously getting to race on a track that they hadn't seen was going to be very, very difficult and challenging. And so every single day, more and more people got into town on Friday for the first couple of practices. You could tell just at the track, it was fans just kind of, what is this? Why did we pay $600 to a thousand dollars to see what this is? And then By qualifying on Saturday, you could tell the real fans had arrived, whether they were celebrities who have been invested in this sport for a long time, like D Wade and Gabrielle Union, who they they told me today in the paddock, they've been rocking with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes for for quite some time for years now. They've been to multiple races um, to the new fans who, you know, just watched the show like the Watt brothers who are now, you know, thrilled to be involved. And I saw them get to go out with McLaren's pit crew and actually put on a tire uh, you know, some of the pit crews maybe today uh, or on Sunday on the race maybe could have used the Watt brothers because they didn't have the greatest showings uh, out in the pit. But it was a spectacle, to say the least. And I think, you know, Stephen Ross, when he said he wanted to bring this race to Miami, you know, the idea was South Beach. Logistically, that would have been a nightmare. So they, you know, said, OK, logistically, let's go out to Hard Rock Stadium and let's create a track in 12 months. And 
I think that they created a vibe that is on par and I haven't been to Monaco. That's on my bucket list, but they wanted a event and a weekend that would have given you a sense of what it was like to be in Monaco if you haven't been before. And I think that they, from what I have heard from F1 personnel and team personnel, they achieve that and what they accomplished. And Katie, you've been around plenty of big events in the States though. You've been around the biggest events in college sports and other, like while not, you know, having the ability to compare it to Monaco, how did it compare to that as far as the overall event spectacle and vibe? Well, I think when you look at the weekend, you know, the Kentucky Derby took place and I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, Brandon, you know, it is the, the event of the year for people in Louisville and there's a pageantry to it, right? Everybody plans their outfits three months in advance or maybe even six months in advance, knowing that they're going to go to the track on whatever day. And it, it felt like that. Now, I just think that Miami, it's a world of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say you're going to Miami, that just means something different. So we saw some things uh, maybe that I wasn't expecting to see, but it was eye-opening. But I just think that it was the event to be seen at whether you were a drive to survive fan you have been a ferrari fan a part of the tifosi since you were a little kid and you grew up watching f1 here in the states to a wealthy person that just wanted to drop thirty five thousand dollars on a suite to a a-list celebrity that said i want to walk through the paddock and meet all of these drivers or go hang out in a hospitality with Red Bull or Williams or Alphatari. It, it was top to bottom, um, the best people watching I have seen in a while. Ooh, people watching. My, one of my favorite things to do here in Louisville, Kentucky. Shout out. Uh, shout out to your uh, alma mater as well, Assumption. Uh, Thank you. Only the best. Only the best, Mike. Only the best come from Assumption. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's the elephant in the room for me. I was a little bit torn at the fact that so many celebrities weren't at the Derby and yeah. were at the Miami Grand Prix. Uh, you see Tom Brady, uh, Ashton Emilia Kunis. Uh, uh, you mentioned D-Wade and Gabrielle Union, Michael Jordan. These are all people that I'm used to seeing in our hometown this weekend. So when you said the energy kind of shifted when people started coming into town, when the celebrities started coming into town this Sunday. What do you think this means for the future of F1 in America when it comes to the pageantry of the thing? Like, is it should other sporting events like the Kentucky Derby be worried about this, the, the split attention that is given when once F1 rolls into town? I was worried. As soon as I saw that they were corresponding dates on the same weekend, even though Derby runs on a Saturday, the first Saturday in May, every single year since I was born, since you were born, however many years the Kentucky Derby has been running, I thought, oh gosh, it's going to pull a lot of the celebrities that like going to Kentucky, that like experiencing Louisville for a couple of days to Miami. And this isn't just a one-off, right? This wasn't just this year. You know, Stephen Ross and this Grand Prix has signed a 10-year deal with F1. So I don't know if the anticipation is that they are going to run in Miami or race in Miami the first weekend of May for the next nine years moving forward, or if that will change on the schedule just due to the F1 season. But I thought to myself, you know, Derby's not going to move, but you're also now going to have to recognize that this is the hot ticket in town. A lot of people like Tom Brady, you mentioned, he takes his offensive line he takes his wide receiving core to the Kentucky Derby. 
Well, now they've got something different to look forward to and something that conflicts with their schedule. I did run into a couple of people so random, but this is just the small world that we live in. They had been to the Kentucky Derby. They went to Oaks and Derby yesterday on Saturday. And then they had said, we took a PJ, which good for them. Yeah, They took a PJ this morning, straight to Miami. They landed at Fort Lauderdale uh, and they had a driver and they drove them straight to hard rock stadium. And so I wondered, like, I would love to see the flight plan of all the PJs leaving Louisville, Kentucky, who did the daily double or just that is one packed weekend. I mean, you know, it it's exhausting going to the track for the Kentucky Derby. I'm talking about the horse track let alone being in the Miami sun where it is 93 degrees the entire day. It's humid as hell. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how people adapt, but I don't think that the, the excitement, I don't think that the fanfare, I don't think that the enthusiasm for F1 is going to fall off here in the States. I mean, we just added another one. So now you're going to have Miami, you're going to have Austin, which has been a mainstay over the last couple of years. And now you're going to have Vegas, which I mean, you can't even get a hotel right now out on the strip because people are, are, are wanting to book it you know, left and right. It's been incredible to see just what that charge has looked like for this. And we know that's been driven, like you said, by fan response to all of this. Drive to Survive has been the reason so many people got into this. Obviously, it started to get the foothold more and more as people have come to it in a variety of ways. But Katie, then there's also the drivers and the purists that you talked about around this sport. And we've heard complaints you know going into the weekend about the quality of the track because it was so new the makeup of the track adding more events to the circuit and if that would water things down so how do you think the race itself actually went we had Max Verstappen who for most people is the heel of the sport Red Bull's golden child go and pull off a pretty exciting win where he beat out the Ferraris but what did you see from the race itself and how do you think that's going to satisfy the purists around the sport Well, I think this was the first one and they're going to take what they learned, the data that they have, and they're going to learn from it and they're going to make changes. I think maybe they get rid of a chicane in sector two uh, so that it's a little bit faster. I felt like in sector two turns 11 through 16, it was really, really slow for these drivers. And, you know, that missed out on opportunities for overtakes. They did have the three great DRS zones that you thought there was going to be a ton of overtakes happening that didn't really happen, you know, until Lando Norris got clipped by Pierre Gasly, you wondered, is this just going to be a pretty straightforward, I hate to say it, boring race, maybe. And then when the safety car came out and everybody bunched up together, that really made it for an exciting finish with the last 10 laps. You know, I think they're going to learn from just this being the first. A lot of drivers did complain about the asphalt, about the lack of grip, given, yes, if you were online, you were fine. But the minute you went offline, which that's when a lot of guys go offline to be aggressive, to overtake, you know, they they didn't have any grip. And that's why we saw a couple of wrecks in practices and then qualifying. I mean, Carlos Sainz hit the concrete barrier on turn 14 on Friday. And then you had Esteban Ocon, who hit the barrier, the same barrier uh, on turn 14 on uh, P3 and missed qualifying altogether on Saturday. So you saw guys that were trying to learn the track in the moment, which I think that's what made it exciting because the track was just finished a couple of weeks ago. 
So then they plug all the data into their simulators. So they don't have a whole lot of time to really learn every single turn, every single aspect of the track, which it made it more of a true race. I mean, you talk to older drivers in the paddock and they were like, yeah, this track has some teeth to it. These young drivers, they're used to like the perfect track and not, mm. you know, no drama or, or not really having adversity. Well, some of the older drivers appreciated the Miami track because it wasn't perfect asphalt. And, and you really had to assess, you know, just the circumstances of, of where your tires were at. So I actually appreciated it. I thought we were going to see more wrecks. Uh, more safety cars just in the race in and of itself. So the fact that we only saw, you know, two there at the end, I think was, was fairly good, but I think this is a great starting point. It was a fast track. It had the drama that we needed, but I, I think they will make a couple of updates moving forward. I watched the last 15 laps. Came in at a good first, point. This, this is my first formula one experience other than like it being on the background at a hotel or something. You know what I mean? Like I was actively <laughs> watching and I was like, oh, okay, this is different. This is exciting. This is as fast as Spencer promised it would be. You saw some guy, uh, I, don't, I don't know who the driver was, but we were in his car and he went from 208 miles an hour to, to 50 miles an hour in, 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 a, in a stop. And, and it was so impressive. All I have to say is I think NASCAR and IndyCar races have, they got the work cut out for them. Because it just looks so good on television. And as Americans, that's the biggest thing. We talked Spencer Hall. He said the reason why F1's taken off is because they made a TV show about it. You know, like it, it speaks in our language. It looked really exciting on television being in that car, the POV. I just I just wanted to see more of it. And it was it was like no other race I've ever seen before. Like, I, I think that's at least at the very least they have that going for it, that it looks like nothing that America has seen when it comes to a race, a, 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 a race. It it's the unattainable. Right. And I think that's the allure to Formula One. And I think that's what Drive to Survive has done. These are extremely good looking, you know, drivers Ooh. and team principals. Mm -hmm. I mean. My mom watches it. My aunts, I've got about seven aunts that absolutely love it. Couldn't care less about Formula One or motorsports or racing, but they're like, Carlos Sainz has such mm -hmm. pretty eyes. I mean, like, Toto Wolf is a stallion, an Lewis, absolute stallion. Lewis Hamilton is, I mean, impeccable. I mean, I wanted to stop Lewis Hamilton today when he was walking through to be like, what is your skincare routine? Sir? Yes. Drop it. Because his complexion is incredible. He always looks great. He brings the outfits. He didn't go to the Met last week. He saved all of his outfits for Miami. I mean, did you see the leather oh. two-piece suit that he had, but then no undershirt and just that <laughs> six-pack? Like, so they've done, yes, attractive, whatever. They are. <laughs> so that draws some people in at a surface level. But then I think when you actually watch the show or you take the time, Brandon, to sit down and, and watch what these guys are doing, the fact that I think Esteban Ocon hit turn 14's concrete barrier at like 51 G's, um, you don't like pilots don't get that. They get maybe like nine G's on a jet and you multiply that by five. Like when you actually look at the skill set that these guys have to have and, and how specific and how on point they have to be for not just one lap, but 57. Like, I mean, like, Mike, how many plays did you maybe like mentally take off during a game? Or like, yes, you're, you're doing your absolute best, but like sometimes you just like 
you're in the thick of it. You're in the motions. Like these guys can't allow for one second of a lapse in focus or else they're in the wall or they're clipping somebody else and their race day is over. Like I just have grown over the last couple of years following the sport of just an appreciation of these guys can't shoot basketballs. I went and followed George Russell on Wednesday for a basketball shoot with Isaiah Stewart can barely dribble. I mean, you, you take somebody out of their niche and, and what they do well, their skill set, and, and they're a fish out of water. But what they do well is, is so unbelievably impressive. Also, if they don't do it well, like death is also on the table for some of these guys. Now, obviously, they made so many safety improvements since the days of Ayrton Senna, which I just watched that documentary. Not, not sure if you've seen it. If you, if you haven't, you should put it on your list. But, I mean, I, I just can't speak to how impressive – these 20 drivers are, and let alone some of them are like 23 years old. It's mind boggling. I I had a a friend of mine who works for Ritz Carlton, which like you said, is part of this. It is when you look around at the sponsors, it's, you know, all of these incredible watch companies, Ritz Carlton, it's it's all of that built into it. And so you've got all that, but to your point, I, I text her after the week, you know, the race was over. And I said, what stuck out to you about this weekend? Like, what was the experience like? And she said, I have such an overwhelming new respect for the caliber of athleticism that it takes to do this. You know, they mentioned Lewis Hamilton said, I'm probably going to lose upwards of 10 pounds during this race from the heat out there, from having to be tensed up and ready the entire time. And while it is specified, it is an incredible form of athleticism to go out there and be able to withstand what you just described. They are so tiny. I sat down with four drivers and like, I would pride myself in being like a thin human being. Maybe Uh, I have been married uh, a couple of months ago. So like I've maybe let myself go a little bit because that's my life. Thank you very much. But I'm five, nine, five, 10. I sat down with Charles, Sergio, George, who's taller than me, but a twig. And I'm forgetting one other, which is terrible. Orlando, these guys are, are small dudes. I mean, they are like you two would be mammoths and you guys aren't like massive anymore from your playing days, but like you two would tower over them because they're rocking with like maybe 145, 150, 155 at most. Like think about jockeys, right? We just saw the Kentucky Derby run. Think about prize boxers having to make your weight. Like that's what these guys are doing because less is more, the lighter the car obviously the better that it can perform. And so, yeah, I I just don't think that you think of drivers necessarily as athletes. And then you put them in a condition like this. I mean, these poor Brits and their pasty skin in Miami sun and heat and the humidity. And they're like, I'm sorry. And I don't know the conversion to Celsius. A couple of them mentioned that to me. And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. But I just know that we're in the nineties. So they couldn't fathom working out and being in a car in a, a full suit, by the way, driving suit, no underwear anymore. Can't wear underwear underneath. If you saw Sebastian Vettel make a statement by wearing his boxers over top uh, earlier this week in the paddock, but these guys lose a ton of weight during the race. And I just can't imagine how physically, mentally, and emotionally taxing it is in this kind of weather. It it was as you said, a remarkable spectacle. And for anyone that had kind of known about it, I think for so many, they figured going to be a ton of new eyes on the sport heading into this weekend. And it sounds like they passed the bar with flying colors on this. So 
Very excited to see what this continue to hold for F1 in this country. Like you said, we've got the Vegas race coming up in 2023. Still have Austin on the table for this year and the rest of the F1 season. And it is all going to be a blast. Katie, we're glad you survived a week in Miami here. Get some rest, friend. Thank you. Nobody asked me to drive anything. So that's why I survived. If I had been tasked with getting behind a wheel, I might not be here. Oh God. Yeah. If they put any of us behind the wheel of one of those things, certain death, my, my brother texted me, my older brother, as I was heading down here and he was like, do you think it's ironic that the worst driver in the world has been tasked with covering the best drivers in the world? And I was like, fair point, my friend. I'm sure most people that watch me play college football ask similar questions when they see me show up in the booth. (laughs) Fair enough. So good to see you both. Congratulations on the new show. Thanks, Katie. Appreciate you. Brandon, I know we spent a lot of time at the top of this podcast talking about what you not wishing your wife uh, robust enough Happy Mother's Day and how that's probably going to be an uncomfortable conversation with you. Uh, did you see the video of the, I think, couple at the Phillies game that I clipped off uh, yesterday and started making the rounds a little bit? I was watching the Phillies-Mets broadcast, and in the stands, the camera operator, God bless him, picked up on this young couple, and the guy is in a beautiful powder blue Phillies jersey with his hood up. It is a cold, crappy-looking day, and he's got his <laughs> arm around the girl next to him. She is, she just looks like she's over whatever he's saying. And then all of a sudden he says something where her eyebrows go up and she makes that face that lets you know whatever point he thought he was just making did not go over in the way that he intended or thought it was going to. And now this man is in a fight for his life, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not, um, they'll leave together. But that might be the last time they leave anywhere together. Uh, check out Gojo Show on Twitter to to see what video that Mike's talking about, or you know, follow Mike in general. Um, it is one of my favorite things to do is like catch somebody in a fight, in a heated fight, a couple. Oh you know yeah! I mean? Like once you see that a heated moment, you know that these two people are. They've been intimate, right? Like this is this is an issue well, at this point. That is time. that and is always she, a great thing to try and judge is when you see a couple interacting in public. How long yeah. do you think they've been together? And at what yes. point? Like I love being able to try and see and decipher. All right, is this couple on a first date here? Have they been together for a while? Do they live together? Are they married? Like all these things that you try and gauge based on the social interaction that you see between the two. Oh, absolutely. And then for this couple, I'm I'm saying you know three to five years. You know what I'm saying? They, they made it through the pandemic. They're on the other side. They're out of the baseball game. He accidentally said the one thing that he was not supposed to say. Because she hit She hit the eye roll was like, yep. oh, no, he didn't. He did it again. He said it again. It's like, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm watching the video and I'm doing the faces and this is an audio podcast. Uh, but dude messed up royally. Dude messed up royally. She also looked like she could have she may be, she, she may be acting out a little bit. Maybe, maybe, you know, you know, yeah. but like, maybe Brandon, I'm, I'm, I'm you've, going down the wrong you, road. You've been in a relationship road. long enough to know that at some point when you found yourself in that spot, it's not, if you're going through hell, keep on moving. It is no turn mm-hmm. around and go back, turn around True. and get out of that True. spot. And so or just push park, just push park. 
You know what I'm saying? It's a very dangerous road. You know what I'm saying? Wet, wet like them, uh, the F1 track in, in Miami Grand Prix. Just, you know, yeah. you're going to crash if you keep going so fast. You just got to back it up. It's baseball. Everybody just enjoy the game. Maybe let's talk about this when we get to the car. See, this is also a product of having so much time in between what's going on here. You've got plenty of time to do everything, including getting whatever argument this was. And so we asked you at Gojo Show on Twitter, in honor of this man's current struggle, what's the dumbest thing you've ever said in the middle of an argument? Because clearly this guy stepped in it. So we got some good ones here. Uh, KC Five String tweets in one word, what night out? Girlfriend at the time was driving. I looked at the car next to us and instinctively said, whoa, when I saw the girl there that was driving. It wasn't in an argument, but it sure started one. Oh, man. That's, that's the problem, too, with being in these long-term relationships. Like, just whoa has says so much <laughs> that that was his ass. I can say it's the opposite of like a picture's worth a thousand words. One worth is worth a thousand responses. One word, right. excuse me. Um, oh, well, the, this one, I got I to gotta jump in now. Yeah. Joe Bear, you're acting like your insert mother's name. Oh, this was the most common response I saw from guys on this one. We had a few, you're acting like your mother. Mm. And that one, like this guy in the crowd looks like he stepped in this inadvertently. Like he thought he was making a good point and it just was not going to land given where they were. If you say you're acting like your mom, that feels like, you know, exactly what arrow you pulled out and put into the, put into the bow. You know what arrow you pulled out of the quiver and you have made a decision to end your own day on a bad note. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have confidence when you pull that out. Cause I, I I'm not saying don't pull it out. I'm just saying like be specific. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. I feel like you're giving advice to people to try and get them into bad situations right now. Like again, item number Don't say it flippantly. Don't say it flippantly. Just you can't don't, say it flippantly. Just don't say it. Eh, I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't follow that logic. Cause sometimes, cause sometimes what, what do they say? What do they say? Uh, things need to be destroyed to be built. Right. So like sometimes it takes a nice, good fight where you like say what you get feeling on your chest, honestly, that, to clear the air. That's not and then also, but, but also never to go back to it. And that's why I think the problem is in this video, it looks like he went back to something that was currently in the taboo. Don't, t- don't say that ever again and it seems to be his go-to i think that conflict can absolutely be a means of getting towards a solution quicker it's what i've said was always great about sports is we are here for a common goal we are in a space where the social contract between us says we can give some harsh feedback it is necessary because we got to get to where we're going and keep people from getting hurt in the process right i think saying what you feel in a relationship is important But I think communicating that in real time and not letting things get to the point where you're letting them leak out all at once. And this is avalanche of stuff that includes barbs like you're acting like your mother right now. That part, probably not the thing. Okay, okay, okay. Fair. But so this guy, you know, acting like your mother was a bunch of them. I think that's a a sniper. Yep. That's like if we're talking about shots, that's a little sniper. That's like I'm going to hit you right. I'm going to clip you in the ear. I'm going to hit you in the heart, shoulder, wherever. You're going to feel this, right? The guy, Mr. Uh, ben Vincent, who said, you're just like my ex. Oh. That's that's a flamethrower. 
That's you're you're burning down your relationship currently oh. and and all your things that are in your crib. Like you know what I'm saying? Like there's a big difference between a a conversation starter, you're acting like your mom, to a conversation ender and a relationship ender, you're just like my ex. Like that's that's you don't want to be with that person anymore if you say that. Yeah, no, that's that's the that's the last because they're one. being like you, your ex. You you you, ha- you have to put you know separate keys into the different reactors in order to open up the chamber that has this button in it. Like that is the <laughs> nuclear option. That is that yes. is so. There's no coming back from that. I can yes. imagine. So you're right. Historically, dumb things to say in that motion. So listen, I, I hope that couple is having a better morning. I hope that they work through this. It was. But a slice of their relationship, it just happened to be captured by some, I hope, very well compensated camera operator as a part of that broadcast crew for doing the Lord's work. Brandon, let's go ahead and finish this thing off with this, that, and the third to end today. And we got some heavy hitters in this one, Brandon. It was a big-time weekend. We talked so much about the Miami Grand Prix. Thank you again to Katie George for joining us and breaking that down. The one thing we didn't get to with her was she talked about all the celebrities that were on the track. We had one of those pictures that started breaking the internet pretty quickly. Tom Brady, who was down there, you know, lives in lives in Florida. We had all the stuff linked to the Dolphins. He was holding court with, in this picture, Lewis Hamilton, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, and David Beckham. And everyone looking at this picture, and I saw um, somebody ask the question. It's an incredible picture, and they are all incredibly accomplished. And then someone immediately took the sports talk flamethrower to it and said, all right, if you look at this picture, who is the most dominant at their given sport in this picture? And I know some of this is my American sports bias in this, but I think if you look objectively at a lot of these resumes – and yeah. take into account the nature of the sport in all this. Because, again, let's like run down the list quick on this. David Beckham was the Ballon d'Or runner-up in 1999. Goes to the best player in soccer across the pond. Six Premier League titles, two FA Cup titles, one Champions League title. It, it's good, but I think everyone kind of looked at this picture and said David Beckham probably goes off to the side. You know, he is a... Respectfully. He's an icon in the sport. He is a Premier League Hall of Famer. He is many things, but... I don't know if high-end dominance that was so individual approaches the level of these other drivers. Because Lewis Hamilton, who again is the sport I comparatively know the least, seven-time world champion, the earliest of which was in 2008, the latest of which was in 2020. So spanned a long period of time, has the most podiums in Formula One history at 183, Mm. is synonymous with so many people for just the class of the sport with what him and Mercedes have done. He is someone that kind of transcends just his sport too. He, you know, is outspoken on a lot of issues. He was outspoken on a lot of issues in the United States this weekend. But Brandon, I would still probably put him behind Michael Jordan. And then I'd have Tom Brady at the top of that list as the most dominant in his sport off of this one. Where are you on that? I I, I wanted to put Brady at the top. Just because, you know, Michael Jordan's not LeBron. But there's something about the fact that basketball players play defense and offense that always tugs at my heartstrings. You know, the fact that someone has to do both. And Jordan's only one defensive player of the year once. 
but that's still insane given the fact right. that like you have the rest of the resume like obviously six-time champ, six-time finals MVP, 14-time all-star, 10-time all-NBA like he's he's got he's got it. He's got every bit of the basketball. To me Brandon this one came more down to the nature of the sports. In that, like you said, okay. I get basketball players play offense and defense, and I get that just value-wise numbers on the court, one basketball player, in theory, can have a pretty large output and effect on the game. The difference I go for, Brady, is the NFL, I think, is a harder sport to year over year based on the structure of the sport, um, yeah. based on the violence of the sport, to have sustained success over such a long period of time. I understand Tom Brady plays the protected position, but to still be able to win in as many ways as the Patriots did over the course of that two-decade dynasty with as many different players around him, because you are a little bit more codependent in that sport. He was the one that had to consistently elevate them to that point. It just, to me, it was longevity and the nature of the sport in that one, but that also might be a football bias peeking through for me. No, it is. It is. And the only reason I'm not having him be the absolute goat in that picture is just because I'm I'm hating on quarterbacks a little bit. That's fair. You know what I'm More than fair. After 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 protected position, but like let's be real, Brady is the goat. Like the way you guys saw on social media, the way Michael Jordan hugged Tom Brady, he don't hug nobody else like mm. that. He it was like it was like <laughs> It was like how people hug Michael Jordan. Like, yes. like, like, like respect to you, sir. You like, you see, he put his chin like in his chest. You know what I mean? Like, I, there, there's so much respect to Tom Brady, but he's a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier with the playoffs. There's just different rules. The tuck rule, Brady just came out and said, you know, might have been a fumble. Like, in deflate gate, like all these different scandals that. Tom Brady and the Patriots has found themselves in were during the playoffs because those are the games that matter and there's no rules in the playoffs. So yes, Tom Brady is the best at exploitation. Tom Brady is the best at coaching on the field. Tom Brady is the best as a walking example that everyone has to live up to. So I, and he's still doing it. I just, yeah, Tom Brady, Tom Brady's the GOAT. He is pretty high up there. It was an incredible picture. It was, you know, awesome to see them. Tom Brady had a sit-down interview with him and Lewis Hamilton before, too, where it just really actually turned into a lot more of Tom Brady talking about, like, a movie and his projects he was working on and kind of taking the shine away from Lewis. But we'll let that slide. Awesome picture. Goaded up. Horns all around. Brandon, let's look at that. And that, to me was what we saw Sunday night in the world of College of the Cross. Y'all are going to have to deal with me bitching about this for the next you know month leading up to Memorial Day weekend because College of the Cross gets its moment in the sun on Memorial Day weekend every year. It is the final four for that tournament in men's and women's College of the Cross. It is an extremely important thing to me as someone who grew up playing the sport, who had a roommate who played it at Notre Dame, who spent a lot of time around that team. And what we saw tonight was a travesty. The College of the The college lacrosse selection committee, like its basketball counterpart, like its CFP counterpart, has a difficult task. I am not blind to that fact. But you've got a sport in college lacrosse that is playing comparatively fewer games in a lot of instances. a little more inconsistent. And they so hug RPI as their metric, as their way of measuring what you've done during the year. 
and inconsistently levy it across the board. There were six Ivy League teams that made their way into the tournament this year. There were so many inconsistencies. It came down to at the back end of this. Notre Dame went finished out the season knowing they had to win three in a row. They had to beat Syracuse, North Carolina, and Duke to make it into the tournament. They rode a six-game winning streak to end the year. After going out at the beginning of the year, and this is the conversation we have so often in the college football playoff, where you have a team that because they're not their full selves, because they made some changes, as Notre Dame did in the middle of the season. They go out and schedule tough out of conference in the beginning of the year. They lose to four really, really outstanding teams in Maryland, who is the one seed overall in the tournament this year, Georgetown, who was sensational this season, Ohio State, who's a tournament team, and Virginia, who was the co-champions of the ACC with Notre Dame after the season. They didn't do a conference tournament. And so they scheduled tough and it didn't work out. And then they made the changes necessary and they ended the the year by all accounts, by eye test and everything else as one of the best teams in college lacrosse. And they got freaking jobbed out of this thing. And the committee came out here and gave no real concrete answers as to what they were doing. Brandon, it just pissed me off to no end and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to sleep well going forward knowing that Notre Dame legitimately by all accounts, by inside lacrosse was ranked as one of the top 10 teams, by every pundit and broadcaster you could find out there. My good, good friend, Anish Shroff, who is one of the premier voices of the sport, tweeted it out perfectly. He said, I hope we have a great tournament, but ND lacrosse legitimately had a chance to dogpile on Memorial Day to have a room full of people make a collective decision and say, nah, they don't belong is gross negligence you have undermined the integrity of the entire format couldn't have said it better myself travesty is sham and a mockery it's a travis sham mockery the committee should be ashamed of themselves listen i don't have to be a a college lax correspondent to let you know that they just hating they hating on notre dame after everything you just laid out they clearly hating and i don't like that i don't have to be clear about that i want to put my stance on on where i'm at on the fence i don't like it I understand I come from this from a place of extreme bias, but yes, Brandon, I don't think you could have put it any better. I don't like what happened here. I think that the reason we have human committees, Notre Dame was the only team in the top 12 in RPI that got left out of this. I understand they didn't have a win over a tournament team from the beginning of all that, but it was because they scheduled so aggressively. Go look at Harvard's out-of-conference schedule. They lost three out of their four. I am very happy for Greg Bur- Jerry Byrne. Excuse me. I like him a lot. I like Will Corrigan on that staff, but this was a tough evening for me. So I'm going to take a um, step back, step away from it and talk about this. Brandon Kendrick Lamar went ahead and did the thing. I hope Jack Harlow enjoyed his couple of days of the weekend of having his moment in the sun for his new album. Okay. okay because okay. Kendrick Lamar just decided to come in and bogart the conversation for the rest of the week. Yes, that is true. And shout out to Jack Harlow, uh, who put out, come home. The kids missed you. Uh, on Friday night, uh, Louisville's finest. He was at the Kentucky Derby with Drizzy Drake. They were shooting their music video for Churchill Downs, uh, one of the slaps on that album. But yeah, you're right. When when the king comes home, well, you know, when it's when you got an arguably top three, arguably top five of the generation, like Kendrick Lamar, telling you when the album's coming out and giving you the first listen, you gotta pay attention. And we did, but it was a very, very weird music video yeah so Kendrick Lamar dropped the heart part five which you know in 
the series of his albums. There had been, as you'd imagine, four other The Hearts leading up to that. And this is in advance of his fifth and final studio album that's going to be coming out on May 13th called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. He shared this with the video. And yeah, you mentioned, Brandon, it's really strange. So the sample for the track is Marvin Gaye's um, I Want You. And it's just Kendrick Lamar in front of a red backdrop. And you see, as he sings the song, coinciding with some different lyrics along the way, you see that kind of like deep fake internet face dubbing that has become popular yes. in a way that terrifies me. And yes. during face swap. So he face swaps over the course of this video as Kanye West's face superimposed imposed on his own, Nipsey Hussle, OJ Simpson, Jesse Smollett, Will Smith, and Kobe Bryant during the course of this entire music video. Brandon, did that work for you? I think it helped me pay attention to the lyrics in a way that maybe I wouldn't have without the face switch. Like, I I am a rap and hip-hop connoisseur. I like to get in on the things, but Kendrick Lamar is one of those heady lyricists that if he gives you something in one bar, you could be dissecting it, and he's already giving you a bunch of bars after that. Right. Something about the face swaps helped me live in the now. Not to mention the fact the first one was O.J. Simpson and he came off pretty hard. Right. Like, I think this whole video, this whole release, the last time he put out an album was damn in, in 2017. Right. Very, very similar backdrop. This this darker red to his album cover in there. So I feel like he was almost explaining himself. And all the things that has happened since the last time he dropped an album, which great. It was a five minute track. Very, very long uh, when it comes to just bars, no chorus. I think it was an art form, right? It, it, it could have been could have been hung up in a museum like at the, at the, at the end of the day, because it was just an expression of things. And it was supposed to be one of those things that kind of just grabs your eye like an Andy Warhol piece. Like I understand it and I appreciate it, but I don't I who am I to say something's not necessary, but. I thought it was very, very, <laughs> I thought it was very, very abrasive to, to jump from OJ Simpson to Kanye West to, uh, I'm trying to think who the, who the, who the, the next person, uh, rapping, rapping was in this, in this video. It was just, it was, it was a, it was a lot and a little all at one time, but Kendrick's Will Smith, Jesse Smollett, like I was wondering the why and the when and like, did he think about this when he was writing the lyrics? Because it felt very like, like I couldn't, the chicken and the egg part of it, I couldn't, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around. But I think to your point, it definitely, as you go through it, helps you kind of focus in on, all right, you know, uh, this is why I am hearing what I am lyrically. These are the visual cues to help me go along with this. Like it was, as you mentioned, very simple and very complicated. I think the notion of deep fakes in general make me uncomfortable. So that was my initial like True. whoa reaction to the video was this is a bit of internet technology that already scares the hell out of me. And so now seeing it weaponized by someone as talented and as brilliant as Kendrick Lamar is like, oh, okay, he's coming with it for this one. Like this sets, yeah. this sets a hell of a tone for what we're going to get when this album comes out on the 13th. Yeah, I feel like, and it's a double album, by the way. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's supposed to make us feel uncomfortable because I think we've become way too accustomed to the fact that you can do this. Yeah, 
Right, like, like just the fact that, like, that's a very normal practice to speak as someone else, and 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 then we have the 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 fifty year olds of the world, all everyone who's on Facebook that can't tell the difference between uh, what's real and what's not, and they make it pretty hard to. I'll say this: I hope no one showed this to Martin Brundle because that guy'd be confused as hell. That man has had a weekend already. Oh Kendrick God. just dropping this casually on a Sunday night. Martin Brundle, stay off the internet. Stay away from Kendrick Lamar right now. This isn't oh, for, this man. isn't for you. You don't need to be around this, my friend. Brandon, that was a hell of a weekend. And we are just getting started here. Thank you to everyone that has made it to this point already. If you like what you heard, continue. Download, subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us five stars, leave us a review. It all helps. We really appreciate it. Steal your friend's phone. Don't steal it, but just like take it from them for a couple minutes and then go in and download this podcast. Hit the automatic download checkmark button and give them the gift of the Gojo Show podcast. Mm. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.